Hey podcast listener, Mike Rappin, host of the I Read Comic Books podcast here. This week's episode is a mini-sode starring Kate Scotchless and Tia Vasilio. In the episode, they discuss the book Intersect by Ray Fox with 100% full spoilers. So this is your early warning. This episode was recorded earlier this year, so if some of the references feel dated, no, it's simply because we are trying to prepare for off weeks like this one. We'll be back next week with a regular full-length episode. Now onto the show. Hi, this is Tia, and I'm here with Kate. Hello. And today we want to talk about Intersect by Ray Fox. This is a comic that Kate and I brought up, I think, during the great debate when we were trying to think of probably the most controversial artist we could to uh, shoot old scripts too, if you remember that episode. And um, we were kind of surprised that the guys were not so into Intersect as we were. And so we have ditched them and we're just going to talk about it. Just the girls. (laughs) So um, Intersect is a comic that um, it ended last year, actually. It's from Image Comics and you can get it in trade paperback. It's six issues. The synopsis is um, not going to help you very much, but I'm just going to throw it out there. um, From the back of the book, it's something has gone terribly wrong with the city of Detroit. A horrifying metamorphosis has taken hold of the population and everyone within is undergoing a slow, agonizing transformation. Nobody seems to know why they are changing, becoming animals or other people or merging with the landscape. Jason and Allison are two lovers inhabiting the same body, wrestling for control while it slowly shifts from male to female. Their companion, the kid, is growing backwards out of a comatose man. To survive, they must unravel the mystery of their new existence and grapple with the hostile laws of the shifting city. Yeah, I think this is the first time I realized that it was about Detroit. (laughs) But okay. Yes. This is not a book that gives you a lot of direction in terms of plot or setting or characters or um, really any of that. But it very it has a very strong tone and a very strong um, sense of horror. And it's also very visually um, engaging. And yeah, it's very striking. We're going to talk about all these things. Kate, how did you first discover this book? So going with the striking thing, I was in my local comic book shop, and it was one of those books that you see the cover and go, ooh, what the heck? Um, and it's all watercolor, and this is, well, it's gonna, I'm going to give away here how few years I've actually been buying comics. Um, but this was at the very beginning of when I had started actually going to the shop and buying single issues versus just reading trades from the library. And so I had not read a watercolor comic before or known that they were a thing. You know, I had it in my head, the usual DC and Marvel kind of formats in artwork. And so I saw this uh, really interesting watercolor cover on the stand and just picked it up because why not? The issues um, for this book were three fifty a piece. So it wasn't a big, you know, investment to throw out there. And I... I was hooked. It's really interesting. Um, I then later went to C2E2 that spring and actually got to meet Ray Fox. And he signed my issues and it was super exciting. And I fangirled a little. 
but also I went to two panels of his, um, one of which he talked quite about a bit about the book and um and that's part of the thing with the story doesn't make sense and it doesn't make sense on purpose the whole time you don't really know what's going on and you're unsettled and that's why the the back doesn't help you at all the synopsis because there is no real synopsis because it's very purposefully un unbalanced and disjointed and so it it's a book that you read for the experience rather than the story almost that it is and maybe you can confirm if this it was like this for you or not Tia but for me it was a an intense feeling of un, unbalancedness and wrongness if you will um and so it was very scary and unsettling in that way and you feel very in it um because you are just like the characters you don't know what's going on and then the the characters themselves are trying to figure out what's going on what this event what's happening how they can do different things and um when he talked at the panels he was talking about how that was very intentional that he wanted the reader to be in it and that is what the back sections are for there's a few pages at the back of each issue for those of you who haven't read it that are a different format and they look like collages almost like magazine collages um and he said that's the entity speaking directly to the audience. So he wants you to feel in it. And then he wants you to have, you know, the, break that fourth wall and have it speaking to you. It's definitely an interesting play on um, subject and object. Because normally when you read a more straightforward comic, uh, the you know, you're looking at the characters from the, from an outside from outside of their world in a way. And the this sort of formal um, topsy turviness of intersect actually pulls you into the world. And so um, it's a lot more difficult to read this comic from an objective position because mm-hmm. you are just uh, so um, you know, you're you're almost part of this weird transition that's happening. You feel, as you say, very unsettled because your grasp, your mind is grasping for some sort of uh, linear, sensical story or character to to hold on to, much in the same way that the actual characters are. And, right. Exactly. Um, when I was reading this, it kind of rem- and and I just will say I I discovered it much in the same way as you. I was sort of pawing through bins of comics, and I was like, "This is beautiful." I don't even care what this is. I'm I'm picking it up because <laughs> yep. I just responded to the artwork, and I ended up uh, I I read it so many times, just you know, not necessarily trying to figure out what the story was, but because. Um, it reminds me, I'm going to sound like a total D-bag right now, but um, when I was doing my PhD, my minor field was in Buddhist art, and so um, it really reminded me of a lot of like um, Chan or Zen aesthetics in that um, things are suggested rather than made explicit, and uh, part of the experience of of engaging with it is that the viewer has to bring a lot to the table and and sort of meditate on it or contemplate it to fill in the the parts that are left unsaid, kind of. 
Yeah, there's suggestions of shapes rather than really explicit, especially when he's showing the merging and flowing together. He does that a lot with very loose coloring and shapes. Um, I had a kind of similar thing where I've reread it a couple times more to figure out how he has achieved what he's achieved. And I definitely don't think I've figured it out. I am, uh, throw this out there, I have no art background here. Um, I have stick figures to prove it. (laughs) But I think what's really interesting that makes things that I could come up with, he doesn't use horizons like at all, which I think is interesting and is probably part of what leads all the images to feel so unmoored. Um, there's no anchor in any of the art. And then the, the bleed all is all the way to the edge. So there's no um, barrier to the action. There's no barrier to the art. So it really envelops you in. It's not a closed off like scene that you're seeing. It's, you know, flows right out. And then a lot of the faces are poorly formed in a way that... You, you almost once you're really examining going oh he's not very good at this but I think it's intentional <laughs> to be honest because the dimensions are off in a way that they're just they they just look there's a wrongness to them and when you look at it yeah. you, you can kind of go oh well the eyes on this one are two-thirds up the face instead of in the center but things like that you don't really notice when you're just reading through the book at a normal pace it just feels off and feels wrong and you're not sure why and then and I really want to believe that's intentional and I think it is if it's not intentional, it's at least something that works really well for this book. Like, I don't exactly. think that he could have had another artist make this book. No, I don't think it would have worked. And so if you haven't read it, the art is done with watercolor pencils and a brush. So there's these s- striking lines in parts that are really vivid colors, but then are brushed over so that they bleed into the rest of the artwork, which is all the very, very heavy on the water watercolors. Um, so it's very surreal and dreamlike, I guess you could say. Which is such a weird way to describe what is a, a very comic. viscerally horror, yeah. co- like terrifying comic. I mean, the, and the colors are these really beautiful, dreamy pinks and blues and pastels with like, so, you know, really bright um, touches thrown in. To, and, you know, if you think about like the only other Ray Fox book I've read is Gotham by Midnight and it has that great ben temple smith art and it's like that's a that's horror art in a different Mm -hmm. vein you know and you could sort of um draw some similarities i think that temple smith a lot of times does um play with with like boundaries and barriers and like you know it's all very kind of swirling sometimes but the the color palette definitely skews more what you would think in terms of horror it's very dark um this is so airy and light and and pretty yeah which for me was a big part because it's shocking the contrast is shocking between this beautiful art and colors to tell this really truly and sincerely horrifying story i mean he took you you sit and think about what is the scariest thing and people you know first thing was all being alone and you know all you know death and dying and stuff like that but what what I think he come the conclusion he comes to and what I, I kind of agree with is loss of control over your own body, your own world, and not knowing how to fix it or knowing what's going on. And so it's body horror, but ju- not just gore. And so it is incredibly unique. And like you said, I don't think another artist could have pulled this off because it is so Fox. I really hate to keep going back to the same um 
I guess, metaphor. But another similarity that strikes me um, is, I don't know if you know about um, Zen Buddhism at all, but there's this... Okay, so I'm going to cut you off here because I think I do. Are you talking about the the ink brush drawing or paintings rather, where it'll Um, be like four lines and that gives you the shape of a butterfly or something? That is what I was talking about before, but I actually was going to bring up um, the the principle of studying koans. Yep, don't have a clue. You're going to have to inform me here. <laughs> so, so have just you, Tia. You've heard the phrase, um, you know, it's like a rhetorical question. What's the sound of one hand clapping or something like that? Right. Um, so basically, like you would put this question to to a student and they they would meditate on it and but the idea isn't that they would ever be expected to answer the question or even understand the question in a in a like in a verbal way it's it's just it's a way to almost to think but not think about stuff i don't know if that explains the distinction so almost like to communicate the uncomprehendable kind of thing yes but with an understanding that it is incomprehensible and you're not ever going to be able to grasp it okay you know um but there is but it's useful to uh to have this thing rolling around in your mind as a way to help you kind of shed um, directed thinking or conscious uh, thinking about things. Okay. Um, it's it's very it's hard to describe that distinction, but I almost feel like I I get that sense when I read Intersect because I have no um, illusions of of wor- working out what it's about or what the story is is necessarily in a linear way and so it really lets you just kind of be in every page and absolutely uh, it really heightens the experiential element to the book Mm -hmm. you know and so I think that if you had to say this book is about something I think it's about experiencing horror uh, and the the horror of ineffability or the horror of loss of control. Um, I also get a strong feeling that um, loss of identity is really important to this book. Uh, yes. Uh, loss of autonomy, loss of identity, loss of control. So I was telling you that I went to C2E2 and went to his panel, and one of the questions that came up, um, it was an image horror panel, and it, which was... <laughs> First of all, super fun. Um, but he was asked, you know, what does this, what does intersect mean? Uh, what does it mean to you kind of thing? And he said, well, I can't answer that because the whole point of intersect is that there isn't an overall, what does it all mean? That it is, that you will never be told what's really going on. That's not the point of the book. And that would, in fact, ruin the book. That having an understanding would counteract, if you will. Um, the point so of the book is to not understand the book. Right, exactly, which could be why it didn't sell that well. But guys, it's so interesting. You can't go into it thinking it's a linear story. Obviously, this is a totally different experience, but it's so worth it. Well, um, I think this actually brings up a really interesting point about, um, you know, c- not just commercial viability of experimental comics, but just like, you know, there's so much potential in this medium for experimentation but mm-hmm. unlike fine art it doesn't have the uh 
the kind of patronage that would allow artists to really um, explore those areas and um, or at least I, I get I, I get the sense that it would be very difficult to make a career out of making challenging books. Absolutely. Yeah, and I feel you, like that's a shame. It's almost a loss of time yeah. on their part that it becomes just a passion project, which then you're doing less of other stuff. So it's cutting into your livelihood um, because this no one has make, infinite time. I mean, I, I don't want to make a, a distinction between highbrow and lowbrow and I don't want to bring that into comic books that's a big reason why I left academia was because I just got so frustrated with constantly sorting things into these categories of you know like more or less importance you know with a capital I right Uh, but I I get a, a great deal of pleasure from working on reading and understanding and challenging comics and I can't you know obviously I'm not the only one because uh, we're having this conversation and I I wonder I don't know this is maybe a question that can't be answered like what does intersect mean however um, you know what can we do to support artists who want to do more experimental comics yeah I I mean, aside from sharing what you love with your friends and encouraging them to also pick it up, which I have definitely told so many people to pick this book up, and I can't say a single one that actually has has not said something along the lines of, Kate, what the hell? (laughs) But yeah, um, (laughs) so there's that. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's not, I think at this point, probably web comics are the most viable form for these but then again if you're not being compensated like again you don't have infinite work and you don't have infinite um capacity even i feel like if you're doing this kind of stuff this is really intensive labor like with your wrists and painting and everything that even if you have time you don't have the stamina if you will like and these guys all get carpal tunnel and stuff, you know? I so, know. Oh, I hate um, I hate thinking about how we're, like, you know, driving all of our favorite artists into the ground with our, yeah. like, oh. ceaseless need for their art. To- totally relevant. Ray Fox just announced he has to have surgery on his wrist. What? But I think he actually, he broke it, and I don't remember if he said how on Twitter, but he messed himself up. And I'm then they to told him that he had he a cast. up at a fight club. I would also like to believe this, especially from his endless selfies of going out. <laughs> um, it's like, who's it going to be a selfie from now? Marguerite Bennett or Ray Fox? Oh, it's Ray Fox, Ken. Um, <laughs> oh, my but, God. Do you think they're in a fight club together? That would be so amazing. I'm pretty sure that's a real thing. That's I want in my thing. heart for that to be a real thing. Okay. So I think he injured it. And then they, to- they put- he had it in cast for a while. And then they told him no surgery. And then it came off. And they're like, yeah, maybe surgery. So... That stinks for him, but can you, I, man, having your livelihood tied to your hands like that, lots of people do it. Yeah. I think part of it, what makes it inaccessible for people isn't that it is so different. I think it's that they come to it with a set of expectations of what it's going to be, and that's the problem. So maybe part of the solution then is getting, helping people to be more open when they're walking toward, coming to, to a book instead of being so rigid you know what I mean um I think actually Kelly Sue DeConnick was just tweeting about this today um that the conflation of comics as a medium with um 
superheroes as a genre in culture keeps a lot of people who are not interested in superheroes but might be interested in comics as a medium away from comics. I I mean, you know, these would be the people, I think, who you could uh, lure into being a comics reader uh, if they just knew about all of this great, really uh, beautiful, intellectual, experimental work that's being done that has nothing to do with superheroes. (laughs) That is so absolutely true. So I... um was ran the comic book club that Mike originally started at Grand Valley, but he had long since gone. And so I was doing that. And part of what we did was a lot at our first meeting was a lot of people who had never read comics, but were interested in the movies or whatever, but didn't know. And maybe had read a few, you know, trades here and there from library, but weren't really into it and were kind of curious. And so one of the things we did a lot at the beginning was um, helping people find books, um, and helping people realize that it's not all superheroes, that that is, in fact, a tiny fraction. Um, and so we always joked that Saga was everyone's um, <laughs> gateway comic it really for all is. those people. It totally is. And um, that they, A, aren't all, because it's not childish, and it's also not superheroes, because so many of the stuff that isn't superheroes that people find immediately in, like, libraries and stuff are children's books. Right. And so that's why we always joke that Saga was the thing you passed to everyone. <laughs> we're like, here you go. And they're like, this is the best. And then they could go yeah. on from there. I mean, I think all of my art historian friends would be all over Intersect, but they will not, uh, they will not lower their perception of what comics are and can do so they don't believe that that anything challenging can happen in comics right which is unfortunate obviously because those would be the people who would pay for things like this yeah and they i think you know another thing that that i think is really topical to intersect um is the is like the state of comics criticism you mean how everyone's a critic on the internet? Oh, God. <laughs> you know, and some creators in the last couple of months I've noticed have taken to Twitter to, to talk about their complaints with, with the state of comics criticism. And I tend to agree with them because I feel like a lot of people have um, have this idea that, that critics are tastemakers, which is not their job. Uh, you know, a critic's job is to... Um, interpret and analyze and contextualize and um, that is a really important job because it makes comics like intersect that are a little challenging more accessible to people because it sort of teaches people how different ways they can approach the book and different frameworks they can use for understanding the book Um, whether or not you like it is like no one cares I'll decide if I like it for myself Exactly. You want the person to the reader to ultimately read it themselves and make their own decisions. So, um, I yeah, I really wish that there was a more rigorous, critical uh, standard in. But but yeah, um, less two paragraph uh, thrown together ten seconds after writing it with a gif and emoticon and then (laughs) you know and and also i think that recommendations are different than reviews like i write a lot of comic recommendations where i just like sing the praises in three paragraphs of a book that i liked and it's not critical and it's not it's not um a review 
it's just saying, hey, I liked this and this is why you might like it. Um, But I think that there is really no need for the opposite of that, which is here's three paragraphs on why I hated this book. Like, that's just not useful. There's so much of that. Yeah. This is devolving into a rant about about the internet in general. (laughs) So I think... I think if we come back to your art friends, one of the things when, so I was discussing this earlier with my aunt, who is an artist um, by profession, and she, what she found the most interesting, and I think your your art artsy, fartsy friends would also enjoy is the use of color rather than structure. Like there's not, there is no traditional comic structure in this book, like the layouts. And he instead uses color to guide the eye in the, in the reader and move you through the story. And I think that's, a, yeah, may, perhaps his most interesting choice in the whole book, in the whole series, well, is comic, um, comic, you know, panels and borders and gutters are meant to convey like time kind of right because right. it's a sequential narrative. And so if you want your reader to feel unmoored, a great way to do that is to take away their perception of time. Exactly, Which, and it all bleeds yeah. together. It all, would you say, intersects. <laughs> <laughs> it's not It's not just a random title that he threw it in. No. Nope. Uh, yeah. I, well, and um, I think it's interesting now that we, now that I think about it as a being in Detroit, like when you're talking about a loss of identity, that what better city, especially in 2014 when we're talking about it, that when this was first published, that when the both the city itself and the people in it are struggling to identify themselves as and themselves and the as separate from and together with some, Detroit yeah exactly um yeah it's very very interesting I know for a book that um, I think a lot of people had a hard time with because they felt like it was uh, too broad that they're just that there weren't enough um consistent uh, sort of markers of what it is and what it's about. I actually think that everything from the title to the artwork to the choice of the setting um, all makes a lot of sense and seems very consistent to me. Yeah, and it also, gels. Yeah, it really supports this theme of um, the kind of horror of the ineffable. Yeah. And the unknown, absolutely. Um so we've sung its praises. What don't you like about this book, Tia? What doesn't work for you? Well, I mean, I could do without some of the violent sex. I have to yep. admit. <laughs> that was going to be my first one, too. I'm not a fan of that because I feel like um, I understand that it has a certain meaning in culture. So like if you're trying to convey a certain type of terror, that's a good go-to. But on the other hand, it's just like easy. be more creative. Stop yeah, using it's the go-to. That. Yes. Yep. It'll, it's not a big enough sin for me to dislike the book. In some books it is. Yeah. But in this well, one... Well, it's not, it's not so much... In some books it becomes a running huge crutch where in this one it just kind of spot shows up and you go "Uh," and then moves to the next page right it doesn't define any particular character because no characters have any particular definition (laughs) right exactly (laughs) so yeah that is that is my one kind of i if i could change anything it would be that i for me it's that and then the uh 
I feel like he has a, has so much imagination with the art, and then when it comes to his vocabulary for the dialogue, it just disappears. And when you're using, you know, the F word every five words in your dialogue, it's at some point, it's just, again, it's just a crutch. It's just lazy writing. Um, I feel like we sound like a couple of old ladies, but on the other hand, I just, I think that- It's true. I don't mind swearing in books, especially horror books. This is supposed to be for adults, but it- it is you get just a certain lazy. exhaustion with, yeah. with like, I think, like, at a, uh, and yeah. it's it does start to lose meaning when it is everywhere, and it's mm-hmm. not I not just in the intersect, but just in general. Um, and so I think that you have to be really careful if you're going to make that choice and um, and make sure that it's framed in a way that makes it clear that you're sort of playing on its. Uh, complete overuse and if you're not trying to play on that then maybe it's not going to say what you wanted to say right I guess uh, for for the dialogue also um, as far as I can tell from the credits they did not invest in a letterer for this book and when you have these beautiful watercolors and then essentially computer type you know, it's the human handwriting type font, but still. I would have loved if he'd used his own handwriting. That would yeah, have me made too. it really interesting. And you definitely needed, you couldn't have something very loose and flowing because you would lose it within the, the, there's so little structure to the art and the pages to begin with that you need a, a text that is more controlled. But having it be the computer generated stuff is jarring in the same way that it's jarring in some of the other image books where they've made this choice like mirror and it it feels very much like a cost choice not a you know not an artistic choice which especially in a book like this that is an artistic point and it's all the same um i feel like there's a lost opportunity there to uh, add another layer of the swirling right. confusion um by you know changing up uh the or have like if when there's a a shift in identity the lettering maybe like gradually changes into something else exactly it seems like that was an afterthought that just got kind of thrown in and to me at least it feels like a lot of the dialogue was equally thrown in at last minute like this doesn't matter anyway it's not really moving the plot forward it's just throwing their sowing their frustration how do i show frustration oh i'll just have them swear a lot um that's actually a really so, interesting point. Like, in a book that is not really relying much on the plot to t- to get its point across, um, you know, I w- what is the dialogue doing? Yeah. Um, and that was, and it is for me and his, everything he does, I've always am a much bigger fan of Ray Fox art than I am his writing. Um I think he's not a bad comic book writer like some people on the show, <clears throat> Nick. Um, but he's pretty mediocre when it comes to writing, in my opinion, at least what I've read of his. And I've definitely have not read all of his work. So that is a, you know, my there's my quantifier right there. But of what I have read, I, his art is wonderful. And then the, the writing's where it falls down. And I think this book is a perfect example of that where the art is really groundbreaking and then the the writing the writing in the sense of writing out the the script the dialogue the story overall i think is very masterfully done but the the dialogue script is just an afterthought i wonder i mean since he 
is the creator of all aspects of this book. I wonder what the script would have been like if he'd had to write it for someone else. I mean, and like I said before, I'm not sure that it would have been as impactful if he didn't have control over the art mm-hmm. and the and the writing. But it it would be it would be interesting, and and his uh, re- reluctance to to talk much about what the book means and that sort of thing. Um, it it just yeah, like his ideas about what this book is trying to accomplish seem very nonverbal, which I think is really interesting. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's interesting too his efforts at the end to break the fourth wall. And I'm, I want to know, like, did that work for you? Did you feel like the entity was speaking directly to you? Or were you just confused about what this end section means in each book? Did, how did that work for you? I didn't really read it as part of the... Um, story in that there was an entity that was involved in the story that was now speaking to me. I I saw it more as almost like um not even a summary, but like you know how sometimes when you read um prose fiction and there will be like a quote at the beginning of a chapter or something. Yes. And mm-hmm. it sort of tells you what the tone of the chapter is going to be. That's how I kind mm-hmm. of took those those parts. I went until I had him say at the in the, on this panel that that's what it was. I didn't know that. I also did not get that fourth wall breaking feeling, um, and also definitely understood because there's that absolute total shift in art style. So it's clearly not part of the, you know, the immediate part of the story and narrative, if you will. But I didn't understand what he was going for until he spelled it out. And so, and then once he did, you go back and you're like, oh yeah, that's absolutely what it is. But I think that might be another weak point then if neither of us could actually figure that out until being told that probably isn't working as well. I don't know if I necessarily need that detail. I don't think that it adds anything for me to the book to know that it's an entity that's speaking to me because... I feel like the the spirit of it to, um, you know, I, I mean, I actually write it as as the author, sort of just addressing the the reader in a okay. out, outside of the story, and so um, I don't think that that changes anything for me necessarily. That yeah, you're still feeling like you're being directly addressed. Right. Um, and for me, at the because you're feeling so pulled into the story through each page. And then you're more and more into it until you're being spoken directly to. And whether you're being... That part is obviously very clear just by the phrasing, whether or not it's an entity or the author or whatever. And so I think in that sense, it definitely works because you get sucked more and more in until you're really feeling it and in it. And then it's really right to you. And that was a powerful way to end each book, but also very even more unsettling and more impossible to understand because it's essentially gibberish. Um... Right, but if that you it, understand, it leaves you that, hanging so hard that you're just like, what? The, what just happened? That's. But if you understand that you're not supposed to understand exactly, and, that, and it's not even that because that's kind of a cop out. You're you're meant to grapple with it, even though you're not going to understand. I mean, that goes back to what I was saying about it kind of being like a visual koan to me, sort of where it's like. Um, it's a it's a thing that your mind can do and can engage with and it and it's kind of actually freeing in a way to be able to think about it and explore it and and not feel like you need to necessarily like 
untangle this riddle or something. Yeah. Yeah, and that you don't have to keep track of everything and who's this and what's their back history. And I think for me, it was just very refreshing in general because it's so completely different than any other comic that it is a totally different experience. Um, yes. And that would be, and it has been my pitch to friends is, do you want something that is nothing like anything else on your pull list? That is nothing like any other book on your shelf. So Buy ultimately... <laughs> to uh let do let's close the show with our with our uh pitch for this book we want you to read it we both really like this book go kate well that's that's what i have it is a visually beautiful book that is absolutely nothing like anything on your shelf i don't care what's on your shelf it's nothing like any of it um I have since read lots of other watercolor comics because after this, I made a point of seeking them out. And even other watercolors, no one does this, this style, this technique. It is completely unique. And even if you don't enjoy the story or the semblance of a story or the art itself, I think having something that unique is valuable and interesting in and of itself. And it's only 15 bucks for the trade. And that's the complete omnibus because this thing only lasted six issues. So you can have the entire thing right there. Uh, How about you, Tia? I totally agree with your pitch. It's a worthwhile experience. It'll make you think differently about comics as a medium. And it's a really beautiful, visually compelling experience to have. So if you get to the end and you didn't get the story and you feel like you didn't get it, you're not missing out on anything because that <laughs> feeling is part of the whole experience. Yep. And it'll it'll change the way that you, that you think about what comics can do. And I think that that's really important, even if you prefer to read superhero books, which I love, you know, I, I have a lot of superhero books that I read on the regular and... I think that a book that has a, a, a more far-reaching impact beyond just what it's about and what it can do um, contained between its own two covers is a really worthwhile book to have. Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks to the stars of this episode, Kate Scotchless and Tia Vasilio. The music in this episode is brought to you by the ever-fantastic Infinity Shred. You can find more of Infinity Shred's music at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this show, tell someone about it. Rate us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create every week for you. Or if you're just looking to say hi, you can email us at ircb at destroythesive.org. And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature on the show, and we have regular threads about what comments you've been reading. So if you want your comment on a book that we're reading in our book club on an episode, make sure to join the club and comment. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode on our subreddit at ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back-issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to visit us at our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening.